Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. We'd like to start by wishing a Mazal Tov to uh, Matthew Stafford, <laughs> to Aaron Donald. Ring me, ring me. Okay, fine. Um, Mabruk and Mazal Tov. Our condolences to Joe Burrow. Okay, fine. Breakfast in the Class, Rabotai, is sponsored by Benjamin Mardcha, dedicated in honor of his wife, Lauren, and in celebration of the birth of their baby girl, Nia Rinat, Mazatov, Mabruk, Mubarak, Azakubaruch. You know, by the way, you don't pay extra for the Kililili that comes included in the dedication. Breakfast of the class also dedicated in loving memory of Victor's father, Samuel Frank, Olava Shalom, Lilu Nishmat Shimuel Ben Geraz. Uh, sponsored by Alice and Victor Franco. And the week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. Of course, it is also uh, dedicated for the Rufuash of Yaakov ben Tamar Malka that we and the entire community and all of Am Israel is praying and waiting with bated breath for good news for this young child to get, uh, to get better and to recover. My friends, I want to share with you something today that is a very deep, a very deep, deep, deep concept. And in fact, on some level, it's something that we live without knowledge of all the time. So I, I want to maybe perhaps um, st start this idea by asking a question and expressing something from uh, Harav Blach, from his Sefer Penine Dat, Hazaku Baruch, to my dear friend who sent it to me from Cleveland. What a beautiful sefer it is. You said that I would enjoy it, and indeed I am already enjoying it. Hazak Baruch, Mr. Atlas, or Rabbi Atlas. Listen to this, Rabbi He asks the following question. Our parasha begins by telling us about the fact that the Jewish people were commanded by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ki tisad rosh b'nei Israel, when you count the Jewish people, how do you count them? You don't count them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But rather, instead, they each give a mahatita shekel, half of a shekel, half of a coin is decided by weight. And then, once every household had given this, this amount of coinage for each of the souls in the, in the, living in the house, they could then count these half of a shekel. They knew exactly how many people were living in the Bnei Israel and how many people were in each family and how many people were in each shevet, each, each tribe. So the question is, why are we counting Jews at all? And I'm just going to quote you the words of Rashi before we ask this question. Rashi says on the Pasuk, count them by counting coins. Don't count them by counting Jews. Why? And there should not be a plague when you count them. Counting somebody, it brings a plague. In fact, we find in the... Uh, in the Torah, that David HaMelech, when he counted the Jews, he didn't remember this, or he didn't do it this way. He counted them and there was a plague that broke out. And David was held responsible for not, for not counting the way the Torah says to count. And Rashi says on this Pasuk, something which is kind of a little bit, it's disorienting. Okay? Or as the English would say, it's disorientating. Because God loves the Jewish people, because they're so dear to Him, He counts them all the time. He counts them when they left, left Egypt. And when they left, uh, when they sinned with the Egel, He counted them. Why? 
to remember how many were left over, how many did not pass away. When it came time to uh, rest his presence upon the Jewish people in the Mishkan, Menam, he counted them. Be'echad ben on the first day of the month of Nisan, who kam ha-mishkan, the Mishkan was put up. Be'echad be'iyar, and one month later, on the first day of the month of Iyar, <coughs> right? Menam, um, he counted them again. So God is constantly counting the Jewish people, illustrating this concept that just as a person who has money in his pocket, he's counting, if he's got a pack, little pack of diamonds, he's always making sure that they're all there, none of them is missing. You know, if someone comes along, he says, look at what I got over here, you're never gonna believe it. He shows them each one, one by one, illustrating the love that God has for the Jewish people. He therefore counts them all the time. Rav Blach asks a great question. He says, one second. I understand that example when it comes to a human uh, uh, owner. A guy who doesn't remember how many he's got, or he's Scrooge McDuck, he's constantly in his, uh, in his safe counting his gold coins, okay? I get it. But with God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows exactly how many they are. In fact, if one Jew dies in a hospital, his heart stops beating, the guy passes away, Borei Olam knows it's one less. If during the counting, someone, a kid's born, in Kimball Hospital in Lakewood, or in Sharei Tzedek in Eretz Israel, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the plus one. He knows exactly how many. His numbers are numbers in real time. He doesn't need you, like the IRS, to file your taxes for him to know how, much, how, how many Jews there are. He knows exactly at all times. So what is this idea? To show Chibatan, to show his, uh, how, much is, how much he loves, he needs to count, number one. Number two, my friends, the second question is, if the purpose of counting is, as we just said, is to show God's love for the Jewish people, how could it be that something that is an illustration of God's love, of our closeness to Him, how could it be that that thing causes, lo negef, it causes a plague? It doesn't make sense that the same thing, which is about love and connection with God, who is the source of all life, should be something that causes death. How could that be? This question is one of those questions which is such a deep question. It can't be answered by mere platitudes. Oh, because of this, because of that. It's something which is a game-changing, it's a paradigm-shifting question. And I want to explain what he says. Um, but again, this is not necessarily a little light morning fare. This is something which requires a little bit of thought. The simple answer, let's kind of start with a simplistic answer. Many times in the Torah, the Torah will use a, a little bit of language. How God took us out with an outstretched arm. How HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know, uh, uh, you know, does this with his hand or with his arm, or he carries us on his shoulders, you know, etc., etc. All these things are euphemistic. God doesn't have a shoulder or a hand. He doesn't have a nose that gets upturned when he gets angry, and yet it describes af amunai. So all these terms, as the Gemara says in numerous places, are lisaber etaozen. It helps the human uh, understanding. It helps us understand something. So when we talk about God's hand, bar menan, God forbid, to think that God has a hand, that's uh, an apikores, thinks that God has a shape or a form. That's what Harambam says. But the point is, 
that how else are you going to understand that God did something but did it with strength? So we say with his right hand, We don't mean that God has a right hand or that he did it with his right hand. We mean that as a human, where most humans are righty, as a human would use his dominant arm to do something, you know, when you throw a pass with your right hand and you're a righty, you can throw a bullet. You ever see a guy who's a righty have to shovel pass or throw something with his left hand? It's weak. Basketball players work for years on their left hand layup because it's weak. So therefore the Torah uses that language in order to communicate an idea in human terminology. So one simple answer is that God, what we're talking about over here is God's showing us how much he loves us and therefore he's doing it in our way. But this is not enough, my friends. Why? Because the Pasuk does not say to show us how much God loves us. It says, Because he loves the Jews. He counts them. It's telling us something which is true about God, not which is true about us. So therefore, there is no place for this euphemistic terminology. So what are we actually describing? And I, I want to just share something with you which I think is it's mind-blowing. He explains that our world, this entire world, Alpika Bala, is what's called a malbush. It's called a levush, a article of clothing. Nothing that we're seeing here is actually real. Everything that we're seeing over here in this world is actually a projection. So I want, I want everyone to understand this because this is very powerful. So normally, you and I, we ask a question. A person's not well, Barmanan. A person's trying to find a shidduch. A person's trying uh, to, you know, to make it in business. A person needs to lift themselves out of a depression. So what does a Jew do? You pray. You give tzedakah. You do a mitzvah. But the question is, what does the mitzvah have to do with me having kids? What does the tefillah have to do with me finding a shidduch? And to us, there's a cognitive dissonance between the mitzvah that I'm doing and this physical outcome. You should do this, you should do this sigula, you should say this tehillim. What the heck does this have to do with that? My friends, I want to share something with you. If this world is actually a projection, then really what we're looking at is a imagined state of reality. Our true reality actually exists on high. It is all about our suffering and our pain, our ecstasy and our success, is all about our closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That happens in the higher worlds. It's in the world of souls. It's in the world of spirituality. What happens up there happens down here. Let me give you an example. The Gemara says that Titus comes to destroy the Beit HaMikdash. And he's so proud about the fact that he's destroyed the Beit HaMikdash. And in the Navi, the Navi tells him, what are you doing, Rasha? You're getting so excited, right? Take a millstone and grind flour. You don't grind flour. You grind wheat. You grind wheat into flour, but you don't grind flour. Flour is by definition something that already has been ground. 
Says the Gemara, exactly. What God was saying to Titus is, you did not destroy my temple. You did not grind it to dust. You did not set uh, my temple afire. My temple was already destroyed. When the Jewish people disconnected from one another, when they disconnected from God, when their prayers were no longer genuine, when their sacrifices no longer had meaning, and they weren't connected with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the building, it ceased to be a spiritual place of connection, and actually it was an empty shell, and therefore it's just sticks and stones. You could break sticks and stones. Titus, you ground flour that was already ground. You did nothing. My friends, so we're sitting here asking, how could it be that my prayer gets me a shiduch or a business? How could it be that this mitzvah is going to bring me parnasah or it's going to bring me mazal or it's going to bring me happiness? I don't understand the connection. Of course you don't. Because you're living in this world which is designed to confuse. The terminology that's used is the alma de shikra, the world of falsehood. And sometimes when you look at the world and you say things just don't make sense, something's going on over here. I don't understand what's happening. That's when the Alma de Shikra, you're getting a little peek under the curtain and you're seeing that actually there's some other forces at play here. This should not happen. This should not be the real. How did this even happen? I don't understand. And it's those moments when you witness HaKadosh Baruch Hu, his guidance in this world, that the mask of the Alma de Shikra starts to fade away. The job of a person, therefore, in this world is to remember the fact that this is just a holographic image projected to allow us to move through our lives whilst on this planet. But in all truth, all there is, is closeness to God and distance from God. That's it. That's it. You want to know what's good and what's evil? What's good and what's bad in the world? Good is things that bring you closer to God. Bad is things that take you further away from God. Anything which is about self, being self-absorbed, being selfish, you know, uh, uh, giving priority to unimportant things, that's less God-like, you're getting more distant from God. That's bad. Anything which brings you closer, that by definition is good. Now, using that concept, let's now analyze the question that we started with because ultimately this yields for us a tremendous insight into this world. What is the antidote for being stuck in this world which helps us forget our reality? I want to give you an example for one minute. God forbid a guy falls down the stairs, knocks his head on the floor. You get trauma like that to the head, the brain gets shaken up. You have times where people suffer amnesia. It's very sad. Or dementia. Or, or, version, or versions of a neurological deterioration which uh, yield similar results. The family's standing in the room, and the grandpa or the grandma or the great-grandma, they're looking right at them. They say, hello, young man. What are you doing here? Can I help you? Are you lost? I'm your son. What are you talking about? I'm your wife. It's heartbreaking. What do they tell people like that to do? What do they tell the family 
of people who have forgotten them. What do they tell them to do? They bring in pictures. They talk to them about things, about great memories that they have. Do you remember when we had our daughter's wedding and we had all the pink flowers and you said you hated those flowers? Do you remember when we went on that boat and, you know, and the, your nephew was fishing over the side and you kept telling him if he didn't be, wasn't careful, he wouldn't fall over and then he fell over into the water and we had to save him out? Do you remember? You bring back all these memories which help the person jog themselves from the way they see the world to the way that they used to see the world, to the true reality of their lived experience. Borei Olam, he gives us a kindness, and that is the gift of a spiritual memory. Something that allows us to remember him, allows us to remember our closeness with him. Says Rav Blach, this is what the counting of the Jews was designed to do. God loves the Jews. But you've got to put people in this world to give them a chance to find their way back home by themselves. But the world is so convincing. It's got so many things to make you forget. It's got so many things to keep you busy that you might forget your past, you might forget your soul's reality. So what does God do? He does something which illustrates closeness. He counts the Jews. And by illustrating and showing this is dear to me, that process, also as a Jew is doing it, he's engaged in it in this world, the mitzvot that we do with our actions over here, because they're plugged into our souls on high, we can change this world and we can change the next. Because of our connection, because we're plugged in up there, we can change our world and we can change the heavenly worlds. Changing our world is when you see a difference because you're praying so much for someone, something changes. Because you're doing an act of tzedakah that's so powerful that you see a Yeshua, like we talked about last week, $6,750, for those of you that remember. My friends, when you do that action down here, it affects up there. When it affects up there, what happens in turn? It affects then back down here. So this action of chiba, of connection between God and us and our nishamot, it manifests, it plays out here in our actions as we do the counting. And that helps our nishama feel that closeness to God, draws them closer to God in the heavenly worlds. And that then therefore jogs our memory. I want you to understand this because this is a, a perception changing truth. Every, every time, you choose in this world spirituality over physicality, that's you having a flashback memory. The guy in the bed, oh my gosh, wait, your name, your name is David. That's a flashback memory. When you come to shul and you're tucked into bed in the morning under your warm covers on a cold day, why in the world are you getting out of bed? Who cares about saying words out of a book and tying a piece of leather on your arm? You choose to get out of bed, you've remembered that this world that doesn't value it is not real. There's a higher reality. Do you understand that? When you choose to give your money away, you work for that money, but someone comes along who needs it, needs it more than you, and you give him your money. That's an illustration, that's a flashback, a memory, that there's another world after this. That there's a world of souls, a world of spirituality, which will have an impact on my mazal, on my happiness, on my beracha, in my world. 
Each one of those things is a tiny bit of a memory. The body remembers that a soul exists and that world affects this world. Those flashbacks are crucial to us coming closer to God. But how could it be that that could cause any sort of damage, any sort of negif? My friends, the answer is that as a person draws closer to God, the sins that they do or that they've done come into a sharper focus. So as an example, if you're a nobody and you cheated on your taxes, nobody cares. But the minute you've become the mayor, the governor, or the president, all of a sudden everyone is like, oh my gosh, we need to see the tax returns that this from 27 years ago. Did you ever ask that from your neighbor that you're having a barbecue with? No, you don't care. But all of a sudden, for this, now we care. Why? Because the closer the person is to the top, the more every little action that he's done or she's done is brought into a sharper relief. We're like, you can't be on that level and be doing that kind of stuff. So the opportunity to come closer to God brings with it tremendous blessing, but also it brings into a much sharper focus our failings. So Borei Olam says, I want to count you. I want to show you my closeness. I want to bring you close to me, do an act of love to you, which will bring us closer, which ultimately will bring you beracha. The problem is that the sins that you've got, unless you've done teshuvah, now they're cause for more concern. You might get punished because of them. So what does God do? Genius. He does the act of counting. He turns it into an act of tzedakah. So as you get close, what did you do? You counted him based on the half shekel. They used the half shekel for the bedekabayit, for an for a element of holiness, so the tzedakah itself is tzedakah mimavet. So each time it's almost like you're coming closer to the sun, but now you need a little bit more sunblock. That is the concept here. But I think the idea of this specific question opens up a tremendous world of thought for all of us, an awareness of the soul. An awareness that even though my friends are all going to this restaurant and it's, you know, and I don't want to seem like this weird guy who's not going to eat the food there. And even though I became a little bit more religious, I don't want to feel like that guy. You know what? In this world you're in, that's embarrassing. But there's another world. Your soul, it's poison. Non-kosher, it's poison for your soul. That's what the Pasuk says. It stops up the heart. It makes it more difficult for a person's prayers to be answered when they're, not eating, when they're not eating kosher food. When you're aware of those things, I can't do that. Someone asks you to do something, it's not right. Come on, you know, we'll do this, we'll never do it again. We're going to do this just this one time, just so we get to capital. We're just going to look the other way, just this one time. Stop being like that. We worked too hard to turn around today just because you started becoming religious. If, you, if you're aware, if you're flashback, is about your soul and its connection to Borei Olam, then in that moment you recognize that it cannot be that I will get something for doing something wrong. Because in the world of falsehood, that's how it seems. But in the higher worlds, there's only closeness and distance from God. Biracha for being close. Kilala for being far. I'm placing it in front of you. I want you to see, God says. See what's really going on. 
You think cheating is going to get you something. It's not. It might look like it, but it will boomerang 100% of the time. That guy that made that move, that lived that life, got three years with his yacht, and then what happened? And the feds come. And the family finds out. The partners find out he was cheating. Everything gets taken away from him. Was it worth the two years of vacation? Was it worth it? Was it worth the, the boat or the car? Now you're a pariah. Do you understand? That's what this pasuk is communicating to us. A, uh, a specific, a, a focus on, on where our true reality uh, actually is and how that reality boomerangs back on our world. Every story you hear of a person doing the right thing and then them getting saved from the flight and then them having Parnassah and the guy who did Shabbat and then the guy in the end, did, you know, he didn't answer the phone call and then he did the deal with it. All of those stories are this concept. Fake world, real world. Real world's projection on fake world. And it's our job to look it right in the eye and say, what I'm seeing is not the entire story. And now you understand what the Pasuk means when it says, it talks about counting the Jews. It says, Ki tisa et rosh Israel, when you count the heads. But the words Ki tisa also mean when you lift the heads. The process of counting, the fact that God shows us closeness, that we're engaged in that process when we give that money. So we are part of this drawing close of the souls of our Nishamot HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the highest heavens. That illustrates something very powerful. You're taking the person's head who's looking down, who's seeing only the world that he's in, and you're literally raising the head, raising the sight lines so the person can actually see this. I mentioned this when uh, we speak to people who've suffered, of lo suffered a loss. And one of the terminologies that gets used in Nechama is that a person feels this sense of loss, someone has passed away. There's a distance between them and the one that they love. But the Nechama is the place should comfort you. That people don't realize that actually it's not that their soul, the person who's passed away, their soul is still with you. That's not what it is. It's rather that your soul actually is with them. It's just that both of you had a soul existence up there and you also had this amnesia. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.